You're listening to audio from Cities Church. You can find more resources and learn about our ministry by visiting citieschurch.com. Well, today's message is uh, more of a theological summary type message. As we've been preaching through the book of Exodus, the pastors thought it would be good at one point to stop and pause and say, there has been this thread reaching all the way back to chapters three and four, all the way up to where we are today, chapters 13 and 14, that has been significant and which we've largely passed over because we wanted to concentrate it into this message. And that theme has to do with God's hand, God's power and Pharaoh's heart. This is a key theme in this book of Exodus. I want to begin, um, when I was, uh, I grew up in a church um, in West Texas that regularly reminded us that God does everything he does so that we would know that he is the Lord. That was just all the time we were reminded. God does what he does, everything that he does so that you will know that he is the Lord. 60 times or something like that. In the book of Ezekiel, God says, I do what I do so that you will know that I am the Lord. And so that note was struck again and again and again. The godness of God, the supremacy of God, the greatness of God was given to us. And for my um, 17, 18, 19-year-old self, that was great. And then it started to raise questions. Questions like the story of Exodus raises. This question of how does this greatness of God relate to me and my freedom and my responsibility before him? And those questions about God's sovereignty and man's responsibility and freedom were heavy for a 17, 18, and 19-year-old, and they ran straight through the story of Pharaoh. All of them had to eventually reckon with the story of Pharaoh, because over and over again, we find here passages like this before the first plague, which Josh just read, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. After Moses turns the staff into the serpent, still Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. As after the Nile is turned to blood, so Pharaoh's heart remained hardened and he wouldn't listen to them as the Lord had said. After Moses gets rid of the frogs, the second plague, When Pharaoh saw there was a respite, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them as the Lord had said. After the gnats, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. He wouldn't listen to them as the Lord had said. After the flies, Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also and did not let the people go. After the livestock die in 9-7, the heart of Pharaoh was hardened and he did not let the people go. After the boils, the Lord hardened Pharaoh, the heart of Pharaoh, and he didn't listen to them as the Lord had spoken to Moses. After the rain and hail, He sinned yet again and hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened. After the locusts, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he did not let the people of Israel go. After the darkness, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not let them go, 1027. After this, and as a summary of the first nine plagues in Exodus 11:10, Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he did not let the people of Israel go out of his land. And then, this is the passage that Pastor David will preach next week. After the Exodus itself, after he finally relents and lets them go, God says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, Exodus 14, 8, and he pursued the people of Israel, 
And then Exodus 14, 17, and 18, again, I will harden, this is God, the hearts of the Egyptians, so they will go in after them into the Red Sea, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. So again and again, that note is struck, but I wonder if you heard the differences. This is what I noticed as a 17, 18, and 19-year-old. In those passages, there are three different ways that Pharaoh's heart is described. Three times we're told Pharaoh hardens his own heart. Ten times God is said to harden Pharaoh's heart. And then six times the text leaves it ambiguous. It just says Pharaoh's heart was hardened and you're supposed to guess who did it. Now, as a 17, 18, and 19-year-old, this made me very uncomfortable because I thought, if God tells Pharaoh, let my people go, and if then God hardens Pharaoh's heart so that he disobeys, then Pharaoh's not really free. And if he's not free, then why does God hold him responsible for his disobedience? It, it felt wrong to me. It felt like if God hardens him so that he disobeys, then he's not free. And if he's not free, then he shouldn't be held responsible for his actions. And so initially, I was attracted to a particular way of understanding this passage that runs like this. Early on, you'll notice, Pharaoh hardens his own heart or his heart is hardened in this ambiguous way. And then after he's dug in on his own, after he's hardened his own heart, then God gives him over to that rebellion and confirms his prior decision. And I thought, oh, that's, that's a good way to get out of that dilemma would be to, as a 17, 18, and 19-year-old to think, first Pharaoh did it to himself and then God just kind of sealed it. But Pharaoh's the one who did it ultimately. I really wanted to accent that Pharaoh first hardened his own heart. God really didn't have anything to do with that part. And then later, God simply confirmed what Pharaoh had already decided. But this is the thing that I ran into. As, as a 17, 18, and 19-year-old, as I started to wrestle more deeply with what the passage says, there were some challenges to that way of understanding it. First, the first reference to hardening in the book is actually in chapter 4. Before, God ever, before Moses ever shows up to Pharaoh, God tells Moses this. He promises this. I'm going to send you to Pharaoh, and I'm going to say, let, him, let the people go. And he says, but I will harden his heart so that he won't let the people go. So from the beginning, God promises this is what's about to happen. Second, when that moment of confrontation arrives in the passage Josh just read, God says it again. I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply signs and wonders, he won't listen to you. And then third, all of those ambiguous examples in chapters 7, 8, and 9, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Who did it? They all have this little tag after them. Pharaoh's heart was hardened as the Lord had said. But what had the Lord said? Well, the Lord had said he would harden Pharaoh's heart. And so God says, look, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart, chapter four, chapter seven. And then sure enough, Pharaoh's heart was hardened as the Lord had said. And so that ambiguity that I wanted to use to sort of get God off the hook for the hardening evaporated. 
In fact, this is what's so surprising. Even the examples where Pharaoh hardens his own heart, like in chapter 8, verse 15, chapter 8, verse 32, even in those passages where it says, Pharaoh hardened his heart, they all refer back to what God had said. Pharaoh hardens his heart, just as the Lord had said, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And so my 17, 18, and 19-year-old self had to come to grips with this, had to reckon with the fact that the Bible presents God as absolutely sovereign over Pharaoh's heart, and yet Pharaoh is absolutely responsible for his heart and his actions. And what I came to see, what took time, lots of time, lots of wrestling, lots of prayer, was that the Bible wasn't bothered by this at all, which was unfortunate because I was bothered by it. You might be bothered by it. Moses was not bothered by it. He just records it. In fact, listen very carefully to these three verses, okay? This is really important that you hear this. This is, cha- you could even look, nine, chapter 9, verses 34 to chapter 10, verse 2. When Pharaoh saw that the rain and hail and thunder had ceased, listen, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart. So who did it? Who did it? There we go. See, I knew I'd get some call and respond. There you go, Josh. Thank you. So Pharaoh did it, hardened his heart. He and his servants. So Pharaoh did it. Verse 35. So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened. There's that ambiguous one. Who did it? And he did not let the people of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. That's a reference back to chapter 4, chapter 10. Then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants. Who did it? The Lord did it. That I may show these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians, and what signs I have done among them, that you may know that I am Yahweh. So in that passage, that's just one little stretch. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh's heart was hardened, ambiguous. And God hardened his, Pharaoh's heart. All three of them describe the same event. God's hardening and Pharaoh's hardening are not intention. They're not at odds. They're complementary. That's what the Bible gives us now. Over the years, I've gotten help by a particular analogy to help understand, like, how does that work? How is it possible for the same action to be attributed to God and to Pharaoh and God not be responsible for Pharaoh's evil, but Pharaoh's responsible for Pharaoh's evil, but God is still sovereign over Pharaoh's evil? Like, that was the, that's, the, that's what we feel. Moses doesn't feel it. Moses is just going to put it out there. We feel the tension. Here was the analogy that helps me. God is an author. This world is his story, and we're his characters. It's an analogy. It helps me to get a glimpse, not a total grasp, not a complete explanation, but a glimpse of how God can be completely and totally and exhaustively sovereign over everything, including the heart, and yet human beings be really free and responsible for their choices and their actions can be meaningful and significant. It allows us to see kind of layers in how the world works, layers of causality, layers of who's responsible, layers. 
And so let me just press it home a little bit by drawing attention to one of my favorite little books, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Okay? So just ask yourself some questions about The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Why was it always winter and never Christmas in Narnia? Answer? Oh, Mike is going to answer. How come? That's exactly right. Because the white witch enslaved the land. Why was it always winter and never Christmas? Because the white witch enslaved the land. But why was it always winter and never Christmas in Narnia? Because C.S. Lewis wrote the story that way. Why does Aslan have to die? Because Edmund was a traitor. Edmund was a traitor. But why does Aslan have to die? Because C.S. Lewis wrote the story that way. Who killed the white witch? Aslan did. But who killed the white witch? C.S. Lewis did when he wrote the story that way. So that analogy that every aspect of the story, from the plot to the characters to all of the little background details, every aspect of a story is under the sovereign control of the author. As we saw a few weeks ago, Yahweh is the causer of everything, the author of everything. And yet, and yet, and yet, the actions of the characters, whether it's the white witch or Pharaoh and his hardening, are necessary and real and valuable for the resolution of the plot. God is the author. He is sovereign over every last bit of it. And at the same time, we are characters, real characters in his story. And we have real integrity, real agency from the inside, from where we sit. Our choices are decisive. They matter. And so God's actions and our actions aren't, are really distinct. Like you can't blame God for your sin nor could Pharaoh. And yet they somehow in this mysterious way, God's actions and our actions overlap and intertwine so that the same action, hardening, can be ascribed to God and to us. Okay. That's the analogy. Now, let me just press that home. That, that Maybe that helps you. Maybe it doesn't. I just want to press one thing home. When I was a 17, 18, and 19-year-old wrestling with this, the temptation I felt as I was pulled, Moses wasn't pulled, I was pulled in two different directions. God's sovereignty felt like pulling at me one way. Man's responsibility and freedom pulling me in a different way. God's hardening pulling me one way. Pharaoh's hardening himself pulling the other way. I was feeling pulled. And the temptation in that moment for me as a 17, 18, and 19 year old was this. My temptation was to make one of those truths cancel the other truth. It's today where we talk a lot about like cancel culture. Don't do cancel culture when it comes to your Bible. Don't allow one biblical truth to cancel out another biblical truth. Don't allow God's sovereignty over all things, including the heart, to crush human freedom and responsibility. And don't allow human freedom and responsibility to crush and mute the sovereignty of God. Let the whole Bible speak so that your mind and your heart come to be shaped and molded by who God really is and not who you want him to be. Now, why does God do it this way? In this passage, as we continue, as we think about why God does what he does in this passage with Pharaoh, why does he harden Pharaoh's heart? And the answer is given a couple of different times. The first one is given in what pa Pastor Josh just read. 
In that passage 7.5, he says, I will harden his heart. And even though I multiply signs and wonders, that's the plagues, Pharaoh won't listen to you. I will lay my hand upon Egypt and bring my host, my people, out of the land by great acts of judgment. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out my people from among them. So why does God do it this way? He wants the Egyptians to know that he is God, that he is God. And so this act of judgment on Egypt is to, so that they would know that he is God. But then later in that other passage I read in chapter 10, verses one and two, Moses is told, I'm gonna do it this way so that later you can tell in the hearing of your sons what God did to the Egyptians in his judgment so that you, the people of Israel, will know that I am the Lord. So not just that the Egyptians would know, but that the people of Israel would know. Now, here's the deal though. Why not just do the plagues? Don't the plagues, don't all of this progression of plagues, remember we talked about how God started at the river and then he worked his way up to the land and he worked his way up from the land to the air and the, the gnats and the flies and then to the bodies and the flesh of the livestock and the people and all the way up to the sky, blotting out the sun and then bringing death on the firstborn. Doesn't that show that you're Yahweh? Doesn't that show that you're God? And the answer is it does. But God wants to show even more than that. God doesn't want to merely show that he rules over nature, over the world out there around us. He wants us to know he rules over the human heart. Not just out there, he rules in here too. This passage, this is the most extended and detailed description of God's interaction with the human heart in the Bible. Nowhere else in scripture do we get this level of detail. It demonstrates the truth of Proverbs 21, verse one. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. And we could leave it at that general level and simply say and affirm and hopefully celebrate, God, you are sovereign over our hearts. But Exodus actually gives us a little more detail. All of it's under that banner. All of it's under the banner of God rules over the human heart. But if you pay attention, there isn't a little bit of a, a progression in the passage and we can learn about our own hearts by attending to it. So let me just describe one or two little pieces from the text and then I'm gonna try to bring that home for us to think about God's sovereignty over our hearts and how we should think about hardening for ourselves. There are a couple of words, on, it's not the same word that's translated harden. You, you read your English Bible and it just says harden. But there's actually a couple of different English words. One of them is to make stiff-necked. To stiffen or to make stiff-necked. That's the one that Josh just read. It shows up in 7.3. It's the outset of the plagues before he even begins. And, and you might think of that one. It's the only time it's really used. And so that's kind of like a summary. This is how Pharaoh's heart becomes stiff-necked. That's the summary. The second word is the word strengthen. Strengthen. That's one of the words translated as harden. It shows up 12 times. Sometimes uh, Pharaoh's heart was strengthened and sometimes God strengthening Pharaoh's heart. And the idea here seems to be that this is where you're strengthened in the direction that you're already going. So if you're going in a good direction, strengthening is good. And if you're going in a bad direction, strengthening is bad. And the third word means to make heavy or to deaden. It's, it's, a, it's a glory word. It's like, it's a heavy. So um, 
if you think about um, if your eyes are heavy, this means they're not working right, right? Your eyes start to get heavy and they're not, you can't see well. Or if your tongue is heavy, means you can't speak well. In fact, that word heavy is what Moses says to God when he says, hey, I'm, I'm slow of speech and of tongue. He says, it literally says, my tongue is heavy. Okay, that same word is talking, it's not just tongues that can be heavy, hearts can be heavy. When a tongue is heavy, it doesn't work right. When a heart is heavy, it doesn't work right. This heaviness, this deadening of the heart means that the heart can't do what the heart should do. And what should the heart do? The heart should respond to God in faith and worship and obedience. And when Pharaoh deadens his own heart, he doesn't respond that way. And so in the passage, Pharaoh's heart is described as heavy in 714. And then Pharaoh begins to make his heart heavier. He deadens his heart beginning in 815. And then eventually, so here's how it unfolds. God says, I'm going to strengthen and stiffen Pharaoh's heart. I'm going to, so those initial plagues, Pharaoh's heart is strengthened. He, now he's a tyrant. He's a wicked sinner. So all God has to do at the beginning is keep it going in the direction he's already going. He's on that. He doesn't have to turn the heart. The heart's already, the stream of water is already going that way. God just has to strengthen it to keep going that way. But then later, Pharaoh digs in. He doubles down after those plagues. He digs in, he doubles down, and Pharaoh deadens his own heart, and God strengthens his heart in the direction that Pharaoh is deadening. And then finally, in chapter 10, as the eighth plague approaches, we're told that for the first time that God himself will deaden Pharaoh's heart. And from then on, there's no ambiguity. All of that, who's really doing it now? All of it is God. In chapters 10 and 11 and 14, in each of those examples, God is absolutely clear, I'm doing this. I'm strengthening his heart in the direction that I've deadened his heart. And now why is that significant? Because what God is doing is, it's, it's as though Pharaoh's natural evil would have carried him up to like plague seven. And then at plague seven, he finally would have might have gone, you know what? This is not working out well for me. So even though I don't love God, even though I don't want to worship God, even though I don't want to obey God, for the sake of my own self-preservation, I'm going to go ahead and stop. Y'all go ahead and leave. But in fact, that's what the people come. They're like, hey, Egypt ruined. Let them go. And that's when Pharaoh begins to negotiate. He begins to say to Moses, hey, I'll let the men go, but not the kids, not the livestock. And then when Moses says, no, you're going to obey God all the way, Pharaoh gets angry and he drives Moses out of his presence and his heart is hardened and he won't let him go. Now, what's happening here? It's almost like, here's what God's doing. Pharaoh has a certain measure of sinfulness and evil and God's just strengthening that, but it's going to reach its limit and Pharaoh, for the sake of his own selfish preservation, will let it go. But instead, it's like God, so the image I have in my head is that like God knocks him down and then God like picks him back up and says, again. And then he picks him back up again. That's eight, nine, and 10. And again, and again. And you say, why is he doing this? Because he wants the Egyptians to know, I am Yahweh. He wants Israel to know, I am Yahweh. He wants them to see the judgment of God on a wicked tyrant and say, may it never be that we would be like that. May we fear lest our hearts be strengthened in that way so that God has to use us as a demonstration of his power. In fact, that's what he says in chapter nine. In chapter nine, verses 14 
God says to Pharaoh, this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself. Literally, listen to this, I will send all my plagues on your heart and on the servants and your people so that you may know there's none like me in all the earth. For by now, I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose, I have raised you up. That's, the, that's where I got the image of it. It's like he knocked him down. I could have cut you off. You would have been done. But I picked you back up to drop you again and again and again. Why? To show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You're still exalting yourself against my people and you won't let them go. So Pharaoh crosses a line. He's a sinner. He's a rebel. And those inconvenient plagues don't lead him to change course because both he and God strengthen his heart to do what it's already wanting to do. But as time goes on, as Pharaoh is strengthened in his rebellion, as he deadens his own heart, eventually he crosses a line and God brings the full weight of his judgment down and the plagues come on Pharaoh's heart so that God raises him up to crush him again and again and again till he's drowned in the Red Sea. Now, what does that have to do with us? This is, that's the progression. I want you to think about what it's to do. Number one, by nature, all of us are Pharaoh. Like you need to feel that. When you read a passage like this, you need to go, apart from grace, I'm Pharaoh. That's how the Bible describes us. Paul tells us all of us at one time were dead, deadened, dead in our trespasses and sins. We were by nature children of wrath. We were darkened in our understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance in us due to the hardness of our hearts. That's where we all begin. We ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to passions, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. And God could have left us there. He could have strengthened us in our sinful directions, allowing us to deaden our stony hearts. But here's, and that's good. You need to feel that and then feel the good news. But God, But God, being rich in mercy, made us alive together with Christ. It's by grace you've been saved. He takes out that stony heart and he puts in a heart of flesh. By grace, he saves us. He changes us so that we no longer walk in the futility and insanity of Pharaoh-like hardness. This is the miracle of the new birth. And it's the only reason that we're not all destined to be drowned in the Red Sea. But does that mean, so that's the first, is that you, you're Pharaoh, but God is rich in mercy and he changes your heart. That's what the new birth is. But does that mean then that hardness is no longer a threat? This is what I want to close with. The answer is no. Hardness still is a threat. In Hebrews chapter 3 he says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. That's addressed to us. 
The danger of hardening is still real, but it will look differently for professing Christians as opposed to an outright defiant rebel like Pharaoh. And I've gotten help on this from Lewis, C.S. Lewis. Screwtape proposes a toast. So if you want to go look this up, you can go find Screwtape. Go read Screwtape proposes a toast. But he describes a process of hardening, and here's how it goes. Screwtape says, it all begins by drifting. It's important. It all begins by drifting. By being pulled along by the wider social environment. I felt this, guys, in my life. By the pattern of the world sort of conforming. Instead of, it's, it's not like I'm actively doing anything. In fact, that's the whole point. I'm just passively floating down the cultural river like a jellyfish. And in that first stage, here's one of the things that we do, that I do. I begin to soften the language of sin. Soften it. Pare down the rough edges. So we float down the river like a jellyfish, and then those little choices to just float begin to harden into a habit. That's what screw tape says. Harden into a habit by steady repetition over and over and over again. And at this point, we begin to excuse our choices, our reactions. We say things like, that's just my personality. Or, you know, I was just reacting to what they did, so really, it's not all on me. Like, okay, I did a little bit of it. But really, if you want to find out who was really responsible for it, it was them. Drifting along passively becomes a habitual choice. And then in this stage, here's what happens to me. I begin to be drawn to arguments that create space for my drifting and disobedience. Sometimes it's even more subtle. It's not even that I'm trying to find arguments that excuse mine. It's I'll actually try to find arguments that excuse yours. I'll be persuaded, not about sins that I deal with, but just sins in general, sins that you might struggle with, or that other people might struggle with, that the culture might say is okay. I'll begin to be persuaded. That's all fine. That's all fine. I'll find those persuasive. Why? Because subtly I know if I can give them a pass, I'm going to get a pass. Now, we wouldn't say that in the moment. Pharaoh wouldn't have said he's hardening his heart. We think we're just honestly exploring other perspectives, but our hearts, as they drift, can deceive us, and we use the complexity of life. Ah, this is just so hard to override the simplicity of obedience. Third stage, once the habit is in place, then that conformity to the way the world is going becomes a conviction, not just something that we drift towards, but something we're willing to defend. We justify it. We have lots of theories, lots of interpretations of Scripture to get us off the hook so that that doesn't mean what it looks like it means. Lots of lofty ideas and rationalizations. Those plausible arguments, we own them for ourselves. And we embrace philosophies and interpretations that let others and us off the hook. And at this point, the stories that we tell ourselves, this is what I do, I can feel myself doing it sometimes. The story that I tell myself about myself reinforces the direction of my drift. In other words, as in the case of Pharaoh, I strengthen my heart in the direction I already want to go. And then finally, this is the fourth step. This is what screw tape, this is quote. Thus gradually, there comes to exist at the center of a creature a hard, tight, settled core of resolution to go on being what it is. Strengthening. And even to resist moods that might tend to alternate. Anything that might come in. 
The heart becomes hard like a stone. And this is a real, deliberate, sometimes not even fully self-conscious rejection of God and his ways. We deaden our hearts so that they're heavy, numb, and dull to God. And then here's the deal. This is what we find, right? Throughout that process, what has God been doing? Well, circumstances and events might unnerve us, might shake us a little bit so that we, like try, God's like trying to shake us loose so that we repent. Something happens to disrupt our peace, to unsettle that drifting, to shake our trajectory. Like it could be something small, like a staff turning into a serpent. It could be like a nuisance, like frogs and gnats and flies, or it could be really big bad things like boils and hail and locusts and darkness. And so the question is, in those moments when we're shaken by circumstances, what do we do? Do we double down? Do we dig in? Do we strengthen our hearts in their current direction? Do we deaden them and numb them to God? Or not just circumstances. Maybe we just begin to avoid other Christians. We don't gather with the believers because they might actually call us back to obedience. We might mock people. You ever done this? Mock people who are obeying God? Why do we do that? Because their obedience reminds us of how far we've drifted. Or we might not mock them actively. That would be too much. We might just take pity on them. Oh, poor people for their obedience, for obeying God and doing what he says, being shackled by those chains that we're shedding. Or we might really grow angry at them and drive them away from us because they're a reminder of what we used to be, of where we used to be. In other words, we strengthen our hearts by neglecting the saints. Or even, finally, we resist the direct word of God. We hear his voice, and we harden our hearts. We hear thou shalt not, and that hard core of resistance rises up in defiance. We're deadened, we're numbed, we're hardened, and we say to God, no. And the hardening builds and builds until we're living in outright defiance or we walk away altogether. So one exhortation to close out here is don't harden your heart. Just don't harden your heart. Have a soft heart. And that's, that's where this news about God's hand in Pharaoh's heart is good news for us because God rules and reigns over everything, including the heart, which means he's sovereign over the heart, which means he can turn the heart wherever he will. He can break in to our efforts to strengthen our resistance and he can overcome it. He can humble us and he can turn us around by transforming our hearts so that we seek him. And then he can strengthen us in that direction. Wait for the Lord, be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord, Psalm 27, 14. We can be strengthened in that direction. We can pray, God, strengthen me to trust you. Make, this is what we just did, right? Make my heart believe. You're praying that because you believe he can do it, right? That's what I'm doing down here in the front. Make my heart believe. That little flicker in there that's in that direction. Fan it up, God. Make it blow. Get it big so that I keep strengthening me this direction, not that one. Which brings us to the table. Because this is where God strengthens your heart. Not strengthens your heart like he does to Pharaoh. This is where God in his rich mercy 
strengthens your heart by reminding you of two things. Number one, he reminds you that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he overcame all tyrants, all wickedness, all evil like the devil. He overcame them. He's sovereign over them. They cannot stand before him. That's the first thing this table reminds you. And then secondly, this table reminds you that not even the hardness of your heart can stop him. Not even the hardness of your heart can stop him. God is greater than your heart and Jesus has overcome. Let's pray. Father, there's good news here in the hardening of Pharaoh. It's a scary word to know that you do this to people, that you strengthen them in their rebellion. And so we want to fear, we want to live in reverent fear before you that you are able to do that and hold us responsible for our hardness. And yet, Lord, this morning, we want to take courage and take comfort that you are rich in mercy and you love to show mercy more than you love to harden. You love to show mercy. Even now, you love to soften the hard hearts and break through and shatter them and turn them to you so that we become conformed to the image of your son and not the pattern of the world. Give us grace, O God. Strengthen our hearts now at this table. In Jesus' name, amen. Invite the pastors to come for the bread. His body is the true bread. Let us serve you.